Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along <clears throat> excuse me, with my beautiful wife, Janet, and we have the pleasure of having Kristen Woodworth on today. She is Awake Nurse Mama on Instagram. We'll stream that later so you can um, find her. She found me on Instagram, and I'm so glad she did because she is a former NICU um, neonatal ICU nurse. I'm taking care of sick little babies, and she has been. She did that for like ten years, and she had an epiphany a few years ago um, on what is going on with vaccine injuries and vaccinating our kids so young, in like when they're first born, and some other drugs they get um, while they're first born without parental consent. And we're going to be talking about that. Um, we're also going to be talking about the cost of being born. And um, how it's so expensive now to have a baby, even, you know, just a regular vaginal delivery is so expensive in the hospital anymore. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, you know, this is something Jan and I have talked about for years. Um, and I know some of my OB, you know, people that friends that work in OB might, you know, debate with this. But, you know, something that was largely 70 years ago was done at home and, I know we're told a lot of times that there were a lot of people, infant deaths and stuff like that, but um, I think that was largely over overplayed. I think we've made a really big business out of out of delivering babies and um, when it used to be done at home. So we're going to be talking about that too. So without further ado, Kristen, welcome to our show. Hey, welcome. Glad to be so, here. Yeah, so introduce yourself a little bit. Okay, so I'm Kristen and like he said, a white nurse mom on Instagram. I worked in the NICU for 10 years as a NICU nurse, and I loved what I did. I do love premature, you know, and helping those little tiny babies. I will never say that there's not aspects of it that I don't miss um, being at the bedside because I absolutely loved, you know, that parent and relationship to try to help them to get their sick infant better. Um, so there's aspects of it that I think is really great in the NICU, but then there's other sides of it that I'm now awake to. And so, uh, once I had that after 2020, pretty much is when I kind of woke up to a lot of things, uh, just felt really strongly about, you know, different avenues of work. And, uh, honestly got fired <laughs> because I was being mandated while I was pregnant with my third daughter to take um, the COVID vaccine. And I did not agree with it. I thought that everything around it just was not sit settling right with my gut. I had seen that there was not a lot of safety studies. And from what I had read on mRNA, it had never worked. And that, you know, in the past that it had been proven that, you know, it just was not an effective vaccine and it wasn't safe. There was no safety studies and there was a blank insert. So how could you even give this to the masses? And so I was just like, no, I'm pregnant. And they were pushing it on pregnant women. And it's absolutely absurd. Like they were doing that. That is absolutely unethical in every way. Um, so I was working in a hospital then and um, they told me, you know, that if you don't get it, you have to put in religious exemption or medical exemption. And because our state that I live in does not have um, philosophical. So you have to put in religious or get a medical exemption. So I ended up, you know, submitting a religious. They denied it the first time. And then I went back and which is crazy. How do you deny someone's religious beliefs? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a First Amendment issue. In yeah. my opinion, your religion can be I don't believe in the COVID vaccine. Right. That's yeah. I mean, seriously. So I resubmitted it a different way. They said I'd left out some certain part and I had to actually talk to like a religious exemption person to help me figure out exactly what it is they wanted me to say. And of course it had to have, you know, biblical verses in it, which I think is crazy, but I put that in there. Plus I added the fact that there was fetal cell lines and, you know, in vaccines. And the second time I submitted it, they accepted it. So it was really weird. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they told me, okay, well, you, yours is accepted because I was on maternity leave. So I just had a newborn and I found out that this was going to be coming down the pipes. This was probably around like May, no, maybe like June when they told us and I was going to have a baby in July. And so I knew going back to work, this was going to be forced on me. And they really want us to get it during that whole time period while I was still working up until I delivered her in July. Um, she just turned two. 
And um, so we, I told my husband, I was like, I can't do this. Like, I just, there's no way. Like, I'm not taking this. Even after she's born, I'm not doing it. And I was like, so they accepted it. And then they told me, but your stipulation is that even while you're on maternity leave, you need to come in and get tested up to your brain. Um, You need to get tested up to your nose, you know, and get these swabs that are painful and, you know, like very punishment, like felt like, you know, they wanted me to come in and get these swabs to my brain. And then I was like, what is going on? Like, why would I have to come in on my days off of work? to do this, you know, like it didn't make any sense. There was no science behind that. I actually petitioned with several other nurses that I work with that we put in a petition to like say all the scientific stuff that we looked up saying that the PCR was not reliable for this and all those things. And um, we submitted it to like the HR of the hospital, the president and everything. And they told us that, you know, we didn't have a leg to stand on that if we didn't comply with the testing that we would be, um, terminated. So I went to HR several times and voiced my opinion and talked to Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, people like that from the state. And they told me, you know, the only thing you can do is try to fight it later on. And I took the termination. I told them, I said, I'm not going to continue with the testing and I'm not going to do this. So they gave me a termination letter in November of 2021. So that was it for me as far as being like tested, you know, I just, I, I did not go along with that. And so they fired me over that. And there were some other people as well that got fired. So I don't know how many exactly, but I do know the people that signed the petition with me, they, they told me that, you know, a lot of them either, I think some of them put in resignations, not all of them took the termination like I did. I think there was a couple of us that took the termination and, and like maybe 20 or so, that resigned. And there was like 250, I think, at this facility that put in exemptions out of like over 1,500 to 2,000 employees. So after that, I put in a request with Equal Opportunity Employment Commission for religious discrimination. And I'm currently still in the process. They say they're so backed up, like so backed up from COVID. Um, that they have no idea of a timeline of when they will be able to pursue the lawsuit for like a class action. Um, Well, first of all, Kristen, thank you for standing up for what you believe is right. Um, You know, there's a lot of people that, you know, said, well, I had to do this. I had to do that to keep my job, this, that, and the other to keep my job. And it's like, no, 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 you didn't. No, you don't. You Um, You do not have to go against what you believe in to keep your job. Um, that, that, you know, your, your life and your baby's life, they're worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Janet probably has some comments about the COVID vaccine and pregnancy. Well, I do because never before have we used something experimental in a pregnant woman that is just yeah. so against the grain of everything that we've ever been taught. And then on top of it, the strange thing is, is that we're in the middle of this huge pandemic and they want you to leave your house after you just had a newborn to be tested wouldn't it have been better if you stayed home i mean why would you go in and have somebody be tested when it's you know a safety thing when you're not even on their facility but yet you're bringing people in i mean in my mind that's just follow the money that has nothing to do about keeping you and your family safe or anybody you know on on campus working at a hospital. I mean, why would you be bringing people in? Just crazy. Yeah, with a, yeah, like I told them, I have a newborn. I'm not coming in on my days off of work to get tested twice a week with something that's not even proven and I'm not sick. That was straight like you said it was straight about the money. It was about the incentives they were getting from the government and everyone knows that. If you look, I mean, we know they were getting paid. The hospitals are yeah. paid to do yeah, that. Absolutely. The, the hospitals made out like bandits during COVID. Mm-hmm. They, they, they love COVID. They, they, they made so much money off COVID. Um, you know, that's why they would test people over and over again to try to get a positive test so they could make more money. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's interesting about some of the things you said about the PCR test. You know, at the time you were questioning the PCR test and their accuracy. You're questioning the mRNA vaccine and its, and its efficacy and the side effects. And it's like, three fast forward three years later, I mean, you were right. I mean, the vaccines didn't work and they're very dangerous, causing lots of side effects. 
And um, they didn't work to prevent transmission. They didn't work to prevent hospitalization. Um, in fact, more people that were vaccinated got COVID than um, than people that weren't vaccinated. So, yeah. and, the, and the PCR tests, very, very inaccurate way to, you know, especially as many ways as they, as many times they cycled it to, you know, test a, you know, for um, somebody that's actually sick and can spread COVID. It's just crazy what we went through. So don't you have a, you have a um, child that has been injured by vaccine, correct? Yes. So the littlest uh, um, was pregnant with and, you know, felt heavily pressured during my whole pregnancy because it was during that whole time of just complete chaos in the world and was pregnant in 2020 with her and then had her in 2021. So had a lot of outside pressure to continue vaccines for her, even though I was strongly questioning it from family. Um, Had, you know, just they weren't questioning like I was. I have other family that was on my side. You know, we were just, it was just a hard time, you know, for me and my husband and extended family was worrying a little bit about things. I'm sure, as you know, um, between families during this time was very hard. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so I told, you know, I told my husband that we would, you know, look into, I just, I had honestly been following like the frontline doctors and stuff like that. I don't know if you're familiar with children's health events. Yep. So that was kind of what started opening my eyes to all of that. You know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., mm-hmm. all of the stances for years and years. So he really is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> just an incredible man. Agreed. Um, so he, you know, I was reading that stuff and showing it to my husband and family. And of course they were like, well, you know, you still probably should get her some, you know, even if you don't do all of them. So at that time I had just got fired. I was super low place. Like I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, my career was pretty much over and I just felt like really weak when I had her, you know, in July, I was going through the mandate thing, knowing I wasn't going to take that one. Because all up until that time, myself had been complying with vaccines for my job most of my career, other than not getting the flu shot while I was pregnant and stuff like that. So I've been vaccinated my whole life. So I just was like, oh, this is a whole new world for me. <laughs> what, you know, like, how do I go about stopping, you know? And is it okay? And I get that a lot from people on Instagram. Is it okay to stop? And the answer is yes. It absolutely is okay to stop because there's so many side effects, so many things that your body is just having to defend itself against when you're injecting yourself with these ingredients. I mean, it's just, it weakens your immune system. There are side effects. And if you stop, yes, it's totally fine. Your immune system is there for a reason. And God created it perfectly in my mind now that I know about yep. <laughs> all the other ways that we have and the things that vaccines can do to your body. Um, so anyways, we went to hang out at the birth ones because I had, I w- it was July. I got fired in November of that same year. So um, we got her those at the birth and they didn't ask about, you know, if I wanted the vitamin K or the eyes. They just went ahead and gave it to her, which I didn't. I didn't have a backbone either, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> and so then I told my husband, I don't know if I want to do the two-month ones. Can we just, like, hold off? And he went with me, and they gave them all because, of course, we didn't have our stuff together when we went. So, of course, they gaslight you when you go to those appointments. And they're just like, you know, it's totally safe. It's not. There's nothing going to happen to your baby. You know, these are perfectly safe. And I'm, like, sitting there, like, you're going to give them eight at one time? Like, you know, this just doesn't seem right. And I mean, it just, once you start questioning it, you kind of just like, something is so off with all of this. And you hear parents talking about things that they saw. Well, first thing I noticed with her was that she got RSV after she was born really quickly. And that was really like a telltale sign that her immune system was weak. You know, as a newborn, they're already weak, but then they get these respiratory, you know, they were like, oh, it was because of COVID that all the babies are getting RSV. Of course, that's what they said. It was yeah, of course, right. <laughs> it didn't have nothing to do with possibly that their immune system was weakened because we're injected them straight out of the womb, and then when you're pregnant, they tell you you need to get a whooping cough. You know the the Tdap, no, the Dtap. You know the words are different for the one that's for the pregnant woman and the baby. So they inject G while you're pregnant, and then they give several series of that same one to the newborn as well. So yeah. 
<laughs> it, 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 it is crazy. And tell us a little bit about, because I got, I got to be honest with you. I mean, as a pharmacist, I feel really bad because I'm ignorant of some of this stuff going on. I, I've been like, for instance, I got somebody reached out to me on social media the other day and asked me about um, the vitamin K injection. And I only know about it from when I was in the hospital and people that would question it would, would, would be called crazy. So tell us a little bit about the vitamin K injection and, and yeah. why, why they say we use, we should use it and, and maybe why, you know, why we shouldn't. Okay. So the vitamin K, like I've, you know, done some studies on it and also looked into, you know, documentaries and stuff on the different things and the insert about it. So vitamin K, first of all, has black box warning. So it's not just the vitamin like they tell you. It has a lot of other preservatives in it and it has a lot of things in it that can, you know, cause thickening of the, the blood and cause increased chance of hyperbilirubinemia. So that means jaundice. Most people know it as that. Um, and I've had lots of parents tell me that afterwards their kids, you know, and that's a cascade of interventions at birth because if they're injecting you with that, then they have to. So it's almost like create the solution for the problem that we gave because the baby gets a high bilirubin and the baby has to be hospitalized or the baby has to be followed up afterwards for high bilirubin to be treated. It prolongs the stay of birth. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, oh, oh, this sounds very familiar. I mean, it, yeah. it's, what, it's what big pharma and the system does. Mm-hmm. It keeps people sick so they can mm-hmm. keep making money off of them. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's so, not, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So actually a newborn peaks at day eight of life for their actual natural occurring vitamin K levels. So if you think about it, um, there was a reason why baby's blood stays thin for the first couple of days of life. There's an actual science behind that. And you can look that up and everything. I don't want to go in detail about it, but there's a whole reason why babies have thinner blood. And that is a lot of things to do with, you know, their bilirubin getting high and stuff like that. So on day eight of life, it peaks. And a lot of people worry about circumcision and all that. Well, they can wait to get circumcised if they choose to circumcise. You know, if they can wait until they're not freshly out of the womb if you choose to do so. And I'm, I have my own sense on circumcision now as well. Actually, it's not proven to be more hygienic. There's a lot of misinformation about circumcision as well. If you look into that further, that's a whole deep hole as well. <laughs> so circumcision is not, is a is American, we, we have a high rate of circumcision where other countries do not. Um, Americans tend to do it not for religious, just because it's the, the trending thing to do, not for religious belief. Um, so, you know, we can go into that, but I don't really think I'm going to go into that too deep. It's just something that I tell people. Yeah to do your homework on and um, your baby boy does not have to be circumcised technically to be healthy. Um, and that's a that's why they tell you they need the vitamin K, but why are we injecting baby girls with vitamin K then? You know, that's a good question too yeah, to ask. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. And it I mean, like I said, I feel I feel ignorant as a pharmacist. I should I should have known these things. And I just, you know, I'm learning right now as you speak. And um, I'm embarrassed as a pharmacist that I didn't know some of these things. But, you know, you just go along with the narrative. You're just taught these things from the time you're in pharmacy school and you just, you know, you just believe it. And, and um, you know, that's why it's so important for people like yourself to speak out. So thank you. Of course. So, yeah, so that's a good thing to look up to. Like I said, the vitamin K is definitely the increased risk for jaundice and um, your child having to have a hospitalized, you know, a longer hospital stay or just the, the all the cascade of interventions that can occur whenever we're treating kids for certain things. Like you said, Big Pharma makes money to create a problem and then a solution. So, And, you know, I will tell you that through this, through this process of educating ourselves and talking to people like yourself, um, you know, we all of a sudden think of personal stories that affected our kids and it really, it really angers us mm-hmm. that we, you know, we chose to give them a treatment um, and we weren't really given, given informed consent about it. No, and, not and at side all. effects from it. I mean, we, we realize this right now when you're telling us, you know, our youngest son had problems with, with jaundice and hyperbilirubinemia and had to stay in the hospital longer. And you, you got asked the question, was it the vitamin K? I mean, like you said, 
we're create our bodies are created wonderfully, perfectly. Mm-hmm. And um, we shouldn't mess with, we should mess with that as little as possible. And there probably is a reason that our bodies are created with thin blood from birth. I don't know that reason, but there probably is a reason. But I think here's the other thing too, as a parent, that is not something that I even had on my radar, even as a healthcare provider myself, I didn't even have that on my radar that that's what was going to happen as soon as he was born. So there's a lot of gray or hidden things that people are just assuming that their doctor or their nurse practitioner or midwife are going to be doing on your behalf. And you're just blindly trusting. You, you, you are not even realizing that. I mean, I didn't realize it. And, because I worked in community setting and retail. I did not work in the hospital. So that was not even something I even thought about. And nobody said to me, oh, by the way, we're going to do this and this and this. Silence, nothing. They just did right. Yeah. And just one more thing about the vitamin K. So I hear a lot of parents talk to me on Instagram about how they were very heavily bullied about it because they are told by the pediatrician, by the hospital, that if they don't take it, they're going to have CPS called on them that um, they're going to, their child will die from bleeding out. There is a huge like mo- like fear mongering around not taking that. And the hospitals are very, very, the doctors in the, in the hospitals will be very mean towards the parents that decide not to take it. And then God forbid something happening, your child does have issues with bleeding or something like that. They immediately say if they weren't, if they didn't have the vitamin K that that was, just that was the reason. Does this, this narrative sound familiar with the COVID vaccine and people getting sick? I mean, the, the narratives, the narrative sounds the same. Yeah, it's because they didn't take the the vitamin K that their child has had, like you know, maybe a brain say say they had a traumatic head birth or whatever, or there was something that happened during the birthing process that caused a brain bleed or something like that. Say for say that the parent didn't know about and they didn't take the vitamin K. Okay, so that's like a rare thing that happens, and it does happen. And I'm not saying that there's not things that can happen in birth that cause, you know, injury to babies, but they immediately throw it and cause great, great amount of distress and guilt on the parent and say, you know, it's because you didn't do what we said. And instead of actually knowing the true cause, it's immediately because they didn't take the medication. Yeah, right you know, that they were going to inject. I mean, it's just absurd. Like, why would you do that to someone? And they're already dealing with a stressful situation. And I mean, in the NICU, I even saw that during like people that would have home births that sometimes things would happen that went wrong. It was just so ugly the way those parents were treated. I mean, it was awful. And it was just Uh, like, like we talk about, yes, but birth is not an emergency always. Very rare is it an emergency and we've made it an emergency, oh, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And like I said um, early, when I introduced this podcast, I, you know, some of my friends that work in OB um, might might debate about this. But I just after this last three years, we have just really, really woken up to. I just don't think for most routine deliveries of babies, it doesn't need to be in a hospital. And I think a hospital is the most dangerous place you can be. And mm-hmm. 70 years ago, most people were born at home without complication. I, I know we're told in school and stuff about mm-hmm. infant mortality and all this. Well, how many times do we have um, mortality or, um, you know, complications because we take a baby too early with C-section? Um, we had that personally happen to us. My youngest son, they took him too early, you know, because the V-back thing. Well, we can't do V-backs. You know, they're too dangerous. And now I think about that. VBAC, vaginal yeah. birth after C-section. You're telling me that there's an increased risk of the uterus to just blow up and explode after a C-section? After Because you, you don't think this uterus heals like other scars do? Right. I mean, think about that. We, we bought that. And, yeah, we bought and, and I get it. I mean, there's going to be some people that are thinking I'm crazy. Or Oh, yeah, but. And, no. or, or what about, you know, or I had an OB nurse say, well, you know, I had to take care of a person. If you never had to take care of a person with uterine bleeding, have you? And I'm like, no, not no, I haven't. But how many times were those uterine bleedings caused by giving oxytocin? Good. I mean, seriously, that was good. you got to ask the question. I mean, you know, and 
I, I do think I do believe in good prenatal care, you know, mm-hmm. and ultrasounds and make sure that, you know, that, um, you know, you have twins or whatever, but, yeah. uh, you know, and I mean, just look at, I mean, just look at, I think we cause more problems in healthcare by delivering people in the hospital and giving, uh, you know, they, they, they've done studies over and over about C-section rates and that it's more of a convenience of the doctor and the patient. And, oh, yeah. and you should not be doing C-sections for that. But you can see it. If you've ever worked in a hospital, C-section rates on Friday, tell me, Kristen, do C-section rates go up on Fridays? Seriously. <laughs> of course they do. I mean, yeah. and now I want to deliver on the weekend. <laughs> I mean, that should tell I mean, you about, you know. Yeah, it's sad. It really is. And like the rush of like delivery, the Pitocin push, the induction rate is high. The C-section rate is astronomical in the hospital and it's absolutely not needed. The mom and baby get very stressed during the birthing process in a hospital because of all the medical interventions. Yeah. Um yeah. And that causes more trauma. I mean, I can say so from my personal experience with three hospital births with epidurals that all failed um, with Pitocin and inductions and unnecessary wazoo out the wazoo interventions that I had with all of my births had post-op complication bleeding was not normal to have all that. And they, I mean, they were like, Oh, you're having bleeding, blah, blah, blah. After delivery. I'm like, but, but why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what did you do? And they did all these interventions when I was yeah. in labor, you know, and I was just like, and now that I know so much more, I'm like, oh my gosh, this all makes sense. Why did I have all those issues? You know, <laughs> and for it not, you know, I got the epidurals and I didn't really want to get them and then they failed anyway. So it was like, it was just, it was a, not a good experience for my birth personally. And I know lots of other people that have told me that switch from hospital to more natural birth that they had so much better experiences and the babies were so much more calm and just, you know, just so many things went so much smoother after recovery. And it's just, it's, it's just clear to see when you talk to other people who have done it differently. But, um, but we've created, we've created an industry out of it. I mean, right. you know, yeah, we definitely have, I mean, it's all about the money and making the money and, Birth should not be thousand ten to twenty thousand dollars that it is today to have a baby. No, it's not not okay. Well, when I was looking for um, uh, a, a former employee, shared this this uh, movie with me um, a few years back, and she actually had a home delivery, and um, it's called the business of being born. And I think it's interesting that it's not available right now. Um, it just, it just kind of shows you how censorship goes way past just vaccines. Um, but we, we've definitely made a business out of being born. And I mean, a vaginal delivery in some hospitals now is $40,000 mm-hmm. that, 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 that's a ripoff. I mean, that's a scam. Yes, absolutely. And, agree. You know, um, so tell us a little bit about backing up a little bit. Yeah. About, about, about erythromycin in the oh. audience. I mean, I, I'm a pharmacist. Educate me. Because I thought, oh, well, this is, we should just do it. Okay. So erythromycin, you know, they give to every baby in the U.S. and other countries. Some other countries don't do it. It's prophylactic here in the U.S. Um, the reason being, they say mom could have sexually transmitted disease, but that's not true in most cases. Most mothers are tested beforehand for any right, type. Right. I, I didn't even know this. I mean, I, I feel ignorant as a pharmacist. Yeah. I remember checking the carts, the carts in, far, in, in, in the, yeah. you know, on the units in, in the OB, OB units with the erythromycin in there. And it's yeah. like, I, I had no idea. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So most mothers are tested for any of that. And they're also, you know, the group B strip, they get done around 36 weeks to see if they have that. And, you know, if you're in a monogamous relationship, you're married husband and wife, and you're not out on the, I mean, you know, like hooking up a lot or being out promiscuous behavior, stuff like that. Like, I mean, no, not everyone's going to be a hundred percent honest, but even then that's their choice. Like, honestly, medical freedom is medical freedom. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, there's treatment options if a baby gets pink eye. So why are we like forcing it upon all babies? 
So, you know, they immediately give it for all babies that are healthy. I mean, these babies are healthy when they come out. They're, why are we giving them antibiotics day one within five minutes in their eyes, you know? And that can cause issues. Like it can cause um, the eyesight to be decreased. And that's very important for a newborn their eyesight to be able to bond with mom, you know, to be able to see their mother's face. And we're interfering with that bond right away because we're putting all this goop in their eyes that causes vision loss, you know, for hours. Yeah. And also it causes gut issues because antibiotics can interfere with the gut, you know, yeah. immediately. So we're just, it's just an unnecessary for most babies to have that. And of course, you know, we're doing it prophylactically. So what about resistance you know, antibiotic resistance is a real thing. So what about mm-hmm. when we need to use an antibiotic for something for, you know, for a true, um, you know, pathological disease and it doesn't work anymore because it, you know, there's been a resistance. So yeah, I, I, I I'm learning as we go now. I want to, now I want to get into, first of all, let, let's, um, Wayne Bailey, one of our, one of our listeners, um, he thanks you for having integrity. That's really, that's really cool. And I, and I thank you too. It's very, very important. Um, you know, you're, it, it, like I said before, it, you know, people said, well, I had to do it, but you didn't have to do it. And you, you chose correctly. Uh, what else did he say here? Oh, best podcast ever. Well, thank you. Ray. Thank you so much. So before the show off air, we were talking about, how some vaccines that we give our kids have a black box warning of SIDS in it. Explain that. So, so it's in the actual inserts. If you read them for certain, you know, childhood scheduled shots, they have the war, you know, entered there's a listed side effect for SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome. So, that kind of goes back to my story about my youngest. So we continued to do her two month ones. And like I said, from birth, she was super fussy, super like they call it colicky, but I don't know because it was a terrified, like a piercing scream from day one. And they, you know, gave her the shots right out the gate within five minutes of being born. And then, so how was I supposed to know if this was a normal newborn cry or if this was something else? And I don't know if you've ever heard of encephalopathy, you know, encephalitis or however they say it, the brain swelling. I can't yeah. always say the word. <laughs> so um, she, you know, there's that's a side effect as well listed is that the brain swelling, you know. So she, you know, she had this ear piercing scream from day one and it was horrible. She couldn't be comforted by anyone but me. She nursed 24-7. She barely slept. Uh, we went back for two months. She had had RSV. We went back for the two-month round, and I was just like a mess there. I actually told him I was leaving the office that day and not coming back, and I wanted to switch to a different pediatric office. That would be more gentle with the vaccines and not be so gaslighting, you know, and just straight-up ruthless about it. Like, I know this practice in particular I was going to was very much about turning the money, and that's people had left this practice particularly. I know other parents that left because they felt like they were a meat wagon, literally. Like, you were just rolling kids in to get them, and that's what it was about. It's about It wasn't about asking the parents what was going on, if you were doing okay postpartum, anything like that. It was literally, you're coming here to get these because we're getting our money. You know, this is what we're doing. It's a money, a gravy train. So this is our bread and butter. Uh, so if you don't do this, you're gone. Um, there's no delaying, stuff like that. They didn't allow that. No delays. No spacing out. Um, so there's some practices that are literally that bad right now, even to this day. Um, so I left there and I, I pulled her records and I sent her to another one, you know, not too far from where we were living. And this practice told me when I went back, I waited probably a good three months before I even took her back because they call them well visits, you know, well visits. Yeah. So she still had the terrifying scream for months after the second, you know, round. Thankfully, I don't remember after those like anything other than the super, super fussy baby. And I just, I've never had a baby this fussy. Like my son had a little bit of it, but he was vaccinated too. But his was not nearly as bad as Stella's, like my youngest. And it was just like, just so fussy for her whole life, just just a very, very, like, the scream, that ear-piercing scream that, I mean, you literally are on edge all the time because if you t- lay them down, it's just like, they're not ever, she was never just calm. It was just so hard to, even if I, 
if I wasn't nursing her, literally she was screaming. I literally felt like we lived like that for a year. Oh, wow. Um, so <laughs> and then we went back at five months to this new office and I told them what had been going on and that I was really unsure about doing any, you know, and of course they started in with that. Well, she definitely needs some. And, oh, well, you know, it's just because she's a fussy baby. Some babies just don't sleep. Some babies just are like this. And I was like, I, I don't, you're not listening to me. Like something's not right with my baby. And, you know, of course my, you know, my husband was still, we were a little, unsure. I mean, he more so than me, but he was still trying to learn about everything and he would read things that I sent him and stuff like that. So he was getting to the point where he was opening up to, you know, not doing them either, but we were still just not, you got to be really strong because when you go in there, I mean, I tell parents this all the time on Instagram, I'm like, you need to have your stuff together when you go, because when you go through those doors, they're going to tell you everything to scare you to death. I mean, they're going to tell you, you're, you know, it's going to be nothing but gaslighting from the moment you walk in those doors that your child's going to die. If you don't do this, that, you know, this, I mean, they're going to straight up terrify you. That's just how it is. I mean, it's really bad. I've heard those stories over and over again and and you shouldn't have to have some kind of good scientific answer to them. Yeah. No, no complete sentence. Right. It, yeah. it, right. It, it's no, it's, it's just, no, I, I don't have to explain why it's my kid's body. And um, I'm as a parent, my job to protect them. Um, no. Yeah. And I tell people when you go in there and they start trying to argue with them, just say no and say, I'm leaving now. If you can't respect my decision, you get up and you walk out. You don't have to get in a contest with them. You don't have to argue. You can tell them that it is your child. It's your decision. And you've done your research and you're saying no today that's the end of discussion and walk out. And if they kick you out, then you can find other ways to have your child taken care of. There are providers that are open-minded now a lot more than there used to be. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really a great awakening as I call it, because there is a lot of medical people that are seeing the writing on the wall and we don't see it because we, there's so many people that are still on the other side where we feel like we're alone, but we're not. Um, there are a lot more than there ever has been. Um, well, it's amazing to me that we would still give a drug to little babies that has a warning of SIDS, sudden, uh, sudden infant death syndrome. Well, and now of course we have adult death syndrome, sudden adult death syndrome. Um, interesting how, you know, when I first heard that term adult, sudden adult death syndrome, I'm like, that oh my gosh! I mean, does this sound familiar? Right. I mean, it's just—it's it, just—it's incredible how, like again, I say how I was duped, and I'm embarrassed. It took me so long to see the light, and now I question—I question everything of my of my education. Um, I, I mean, a big pharma is evil. Um, the health system is evil. You know, the traditional healthcare system, I'm not talking about the people in it, but the traditional system is evil and just wants to make money off people. Oh, let's, let's back up. It's not the traditional. It's the new Western. It's the new Western. No, that's true. I mean, Rockefeller medicine, if you go yeah. back to it. Yeah. <laughs> my brain's going back to like my family and, and my mom and dad's family. And it's like, you know, my grandmother delivered 15 babies. She oh. had one complication, one death. That's it. Now, Tragic, yes. Maybe tradition. You know, today she wouldn't have lost the one. I don't know, but I mean, they weren't born with all these interventions and all. You know, and it's like all of a sudden, it's like all these things created. And you're, we're talking about um, little things like fussy babies, and it's like you know, when Sean and I had our first one, we were like, okay, we're doing it on the schedule of feeding, like our pediatrician said, and, you know, going off this whole thing. And when things weren't working out, you know, who do you listen to? Well, oh, my mom and my mom said, well, what, what about trying this? And I'm like, oh no, our pediatrician said this. And it's like, it took us a while to realize doctors are not gods and neither is the healthcare, you know? I mean, Maybe the wisdom of a grandmother <laughs> right. should be taken into account. And, you know, there was Absolutely. maybe someone and I stopped and went, oh, she's right. 
<laughs> and, and, and really, of course she was right. She had six kids of her own. I mean, mm-hmm. she knew what to do. And why are we, why do we feel like we have to ask a doctor for everything to what we can yeah. be our kid, why we can't give them this or that? We feel like we have to answer to them for every single decision we right. make now. That's just in enough in itself to show me that we've become so accustomed to asking someone else to right. take care of our kid. Which is exactly what the system yeah. wants. Yeah. And remember, these are the same doctors that back in the early 70s when I was born, they were promoting breastfeeding being bad. Yes. And and mm-hmm. Simulac was was what you needed to use. Oh, and Simulac is actually the name Simulac. I didn't realize this until a drug rep told me is is simulated lactation. That's what Simulac was made for. And I mean if we think that we can create something like breast milk, we are really arrogant or stupid or both. We I mean, seriously. And, and it just goes to show you that that's what was being promoted in the seventies. Breastfeeding is bad. Um, you know, you got to use this formula. And of course, big pharma had these studies or whatever, I'm sure about how much better formula was. And it's like, we bought it. We I mean, bought it uh, hard. Yeah. And people are still buying it hard. Like, and, you know, right. And, and I go back, I go back to this. I, I just, I, I am just trying to be a rational thinker. And Jan, I talk on this podcast a lot about diet and stuff. And of course, as you know, Kristen, I'm sure, you know, we've been duped about diets and stuff, you know, the food pyramid and, you know, um, you know, red meat is bad. Let's see. Let's just think about this. How long have we as humans been eating red meat? Oh, and it's all, it's thousands of years and it's bad all of a sudden. Okay. All right. So how long has our bodies been treating been fighting viruses and bacteria that we use vaccines to to prevent now. How long have has our bodies been doing that? Since the fifties. Well, thousands of years. Yeah. Our bodies have been fighting viruses for thousands of years, That's right? With the vaccines in the fifties. Exactly. But the vaccines have been around for about 70 years. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to save us all. Well, if the viruses were so dangerous, um, and, 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 you know, viruses are real. People die from them. Bacteria are real. People die from them. I get it. But if, if, if they were so dangerous and they were going to wipe out the, wipe out the world, then how come they didn't do it a thousand years ago? Exactly. How, that's, I mean, I mean, that's a rational question. You, you could argue some things about the Spanish flu and all this. I believe the Spanish flu was, was a whole other issue. I think created, we created more problems than, than not. Mm-hmm. And, um, or you look at the smallpox, you know, um, epidemic, you know, that was mostly a sanitation issue. A lot of those things, oh, yeah. the, the things that have, that have, that have saved more lives than anything is modern day plumbing, yeah. sanitation, washing your hands, clean water. Giardian cholera is what kills people in third world countries. It doesn't kill people in the United States because we have a clean water system. Right. So, and when you look at, when you look at the history of, of vaccine preventable disease, it was going down. The vaccine preventable disease was going, the diseases were going down before the vaccines came out. Mm-hmm. Why? Because vaccines came out largely in the 1950s, right? But we started having modern day sanitation systems in the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, infectious disease rates start going down. Yes. Not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everyone should read Dissolving Illusions. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that, but. What, what book is that? So this, is one of the best things I ever got my hands on. So Dissolving Illusions is written by Susan Humphreys. She's a doctor. And then this guy right here who just has been researching forever about vaccines and what happened with diseases. And, you know, so every parent that's questioning, you know, disease history should read this because it truly gives you all the charts. It has science behind it. All of these are like peer-reviewed articles. And it shows the charts of the diseases declining way before the vaccines were introduced. That, that's a that's a great tip. We will um, in our edited podcast we'll put a link to that book. Yeah. So I tell a lot of parents that that's the first thing that I recommend. And you don't have to read it all, but you can look through it and read. It's a big book, but you know even the preface is great to learn what what this doctor in particular, Susan Humphrey, saw as a doctor that awesome. really opened her eyes to all of her patients were. Um, that were vaccinated were having kidney failure as a nephrologist. And she went against the grain and they have given her, (laughs) she's wrote obviously now books about, you know, what's really happened and what she saw. It's just amazing. Like the book is great. So, um, but going back to 
what I was saying about my, my baby at five months. So we went there and she, the doctor told me we could do a delayed schedule here. We would just do one that day and then come back a month later and do another. So of course I was just like, okay, whatever. Like I didn't want to do it, but I was like, okay, this is a little bit better. Um, so they gave her, they actually still gave her the rotavirus drops because they told me, oh, these are just drops. There's no, there's nothing wrong with these rotavirus drops. Like they won't cause any issues. They're just to prevent diarrhea. Okay. So they gave her the drops and they gave her, and now you and me talked about this earlier, that the rotavirus drops can cause intestinal twisting and necrosis of the bowels. And it's been known to happen to your, you said your child. Yep, that's right. And nobody ever said this could be a side effect. You did finally go walking into it as a mother going, I'm doing the right thing. I'm vaccinating my child. Yes. Even when he was in the hospital dying and they had to do a bowel resection, not once did the pediatrician, did the ER doctor, did the uh, surgeon say, well, did you know this could be caused from the vaccine? Did he get vaccinated from this? Mm. Never once were we asked. We we find it out 20 years later when we're at a medical freedom um, group and a pediatrician that refused to, to get vaccinated. So he left that clinic. He's the one that told us about it. And I'm like, Oh Bingo. my gosh, that's what happened. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's sad because that is something so terrible and that having to experience that and then knowing that you could have changed that whole course, right. you can't change it once it's over. Once it's done, it's done. And that's what I tell parents. Yeah. Maybe your child will be okay. Maybe they will be okay. Maybe they'll just get an ear infection or some, you know, other things afterwards. Or maybe they won't get sick. If you, if they don't, you're blessed because there's a lot of parents that every day tell me the horrible things they're experiencing. Yeah. I mean, complete neurological changes. You know, we could go into that forever with the autism, the ADHD, all the things. They see it happen overnight. I mean, within days afterwards. And, no, and people completely, completely just say they're they're nuts and it's like these people are seeing it in front of their eyes these are parents that are telling you this happened to their child afterwards telling me that there's no correlation their child was perfectly normal beforehand and days later is a totally different child that's not speaking who's you know going back regressing not walking all of a sudden they're completely nonverbal. no that is not okay like there's just no way that it's not correlated well, and uh, if you, you say you follow RFK Jr., he has a lot of stories about that that kind of woke him up about those kind of things. Yeah, the you know, moms are not. Moms, uh, uh, moms is, yeah, moms is telling stories like that. So that. My kid, after these shots got turned yeah. into this, like this is what happened to my child. And he finally was like, okay, like let me listen because obviously they're not going to leave me alone. <laughs> And thank God those moms didn't leave him alone because the platform he has today, which has been censored for 20 years. But right. anyways, um, so what we got her that rotavirus that day. And then we got, it's called the Pediorex. So you'll have to look up to what that one is. It's a combo. It's one of the polio shots that has a combination with several other diseases. So, you know, they're all now combined with three viruses. Yeah, of course. So you get this one shot, but it still has three different things that it's supposed to, you know, prevent you from having, you know, get immunity to. Um, So she got those two. And that next, the next day, she was just still the same way, very fussy, always just inconsolable, wouldn't let anyone hold her. Not even my husband could barely hold her. I mean, this is five months old when most babies are starting to be like just happy-go-lucky. You know, they're kind of over the newborn fussiness. No, hers never got better. The sleep never got better. She was, con- you know, we still had like, she got a runny nose right afterwards, of course, because she got that one in the rotavirus. And then she, I think she may have got a fever too, which is, they say is normal, <laughs> of course. And then, um, you know, she just was fussy afterwards. About 24 hours later, we noticed that she just had a runny nose and everything. That night we went to bed, she was really stuffy. We had on the humidifier and stuff like that. We actually use an outlet with her. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a O2 sensor. I never use it with any of my other kids. For some reason, I guess God be in his will, I bought it with her. And she had woke up, was breastfeeding, and then all of a sudden, the sensor went off, like as she was nursing. 
and I felt like her go limp, you know, and I was like, oh my God, like it it turned red. I never turned red before. And I like started like shaking my husband. I was like, something's wrong. Something's wrong. She's not breathing. She's not breathing. It was the middle of the night. (laughs) And um, her stats were in the 80s. It was reading and she was completely limp and blue. And I told him, I started screaming for him to do CPR because I didn't, you know, I thought she was going to die. And I mean, it's the scariest thing ever. Yeah, I can't imagine. And um, we just did some vigorous stem for like maybe a couple seconds, and she started pinking back up. And her her tone, like she had no tone, so she was that her sights were low. Like I know what I saw. I'm a NICU nurse. It's not me being crazy and being an overly nervous yeah. mama. Like I know what a baby looks like when they stop breathing. You know what I mean? I've seen it so many times in my career. Um, and I've seen babies after vaccination in the NICU do the same thing. And if they hadn't have been on oxygen, they, these babies would have died. You know, I mean, I'm not, SIDS is not normal. And they call it, you know, they say it's just a normal thing. They told me the next day when I took her back in, because she did come back around. I mean, I was obviously a basket case. And I was so mad. Because <laughs> I was like, if my baby hadn't had that, you know, that monitor on, she would be dead. And I told them that. I was like, what if I had, you know, what if we hadn't have known? What if she would have just, you know, she would have never started back breathing or if I hadn't have been able to have that monitor? Like, I really think the stimulation, because a lot of times it's the, the brain, it just, it's something in their brain registers for them not to breathe again. And it's with that whole response, that immune response from what they're injecting them with, that it crosses the blood brain, the blood brain barrier. And then it causes some neurological issue that affects the brain sensor, the part of the brain that controls breathing. And I truly believe if they investigated it, which they won't do, what causes SIDS, half the time that you cannot get them to do autopsies on kids that have come in the ERs. And I can tell you nur- nurses that have told me to their face, that almost every case of SIDS they've ever seen was 72 hours after vaccination. And that in itself speaks volumes. It does. So I will never shut up about that. And especially after experiencing with my own child, you know, this very scary event. Well, another thing that speaks volumes um, is, you know, that in the late 80s, you know, the vaccines and RFK Jr. talks heavily about this. In the late 80s, there was some kind of bill signed, um, you know, President Reagan signed it. um, That was basically going to exempt um, drug companies they're going to give them immunity from any lawsuits from mm-hmm. um, vaccine injuries. I mean, that speaks volumes right there. There is no other industry that I know of that gets immunity from lawsuits. I mean, so, and then it's no surprise that, you know, when I was a kid, there was six vaccines. I don't know. I, I'm making up these numbers. Right. But now the vaccine very, schedule. Very small. Yeah. But the vaccine schedule now is like, you know, by the time a kid is 18, they've had 200 vaccines or something if they follow the schedule. Is that correct? Do you know? 72 doses, but yeah, it's around 72 to 72. Well, now with the, the COVID one, it's around 75 if you get three boosters. Um, so, it, yeah, it's astronomical, the amount. Yeah, it's totally different. So when people say, well, we were fine when we were growing up and we got them, it's not the same. And, and even then, people were having issues from some of those. I mean, if you look back at when the polio came on the market, the first one, they had to take it off. You can look at the cutter act, the cutter incident, the things that were happening. There's several things, you know, in history that happened with vaccines. They had to remove them off the market because they were so unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, polio is not something to fear for most people. Don't realize that, you know. I can tell you the statistics on it. it's like ninety some per, ninety five plus percent of cases. Of polio are asymptomatic. Um, oh, they, that, wait a minute, isn't yeah. that kind of like COVID? Yeah, so it's very, <laughs> very similar. If you look back in the history of polio, and then you look back at yeah. the pandemic, it's very similar. Yeah. I, I think the narrative of polio—that's one of the first vaccines I started to question before, after when I started questioning the COVID vaccine. The narrative of polio and COVID—they they go hand in hand. Yeah, and, so, and you won't forget they were spraying children with um, a certain chemical that. You know, in, during the polio years, mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be surprised. They were spraying them with DDT to you know prevent right. disease. So yeah. So yeah. Kristen, as we as we wind this podcast up, um, I just want to ask you. I, I think it's 
relatively obvious over the last hour what your passion is, but tell us what you, what you have a passion for. So I'm just very passionate about this topic, obviously, and waking, you know, not, not so much waking people up, but making people aware of the, you know, informed consent and medical freedom and that they don't have it right now. And, you know, that you really need to be your own advocate and you need to do your research and you don't need to just Google it. You need to go further than that because Google is only going to tell you a one-sided story. It's only going to be, it's very censored. Um, You know, Google and all these search engines. Yeah. You have to go deeper than that. You have to look into finding books, finding podcasts, finding doctors that are speaking out. You have to, I would tell people, go to learn the risk. Um, That's one of my learntherisk.org. Go to physicians for informed consent. There's so many resources out there. Um, follow children's health defense. Um, you know, do act, if you go to my bio, yes, awake nurse mama, and then click there on my milkshake. It's my bio. You can find lots of these resources that I'm talking about, and that will help direct you. And also, a lot of podcasts that I've listed and stuff like that. One of the top ones I really like is um, the Vaccine Conversation with Bob Sears. It's a really good one for new parents that are questioning the schedule. So there's just so many things that are available now that are actually medical doctors that are speaking out. And, you know, a lot of them, Paul Thomas and all these doctors have had their license removed. That speaks Mm -hmm. volumes. They've had their medical license removed over this subject. Crazy. Yeah. I never thought it would happen, but um, it's, it's definitely happening. Um, There's still, we we know a lot of doctors that are still fighting for their license because of, because of, um, you know, their stance on COVID. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that there are more doctors that are brave enough because it really goes, you have to be one of those people that does not care about the money and really cares about people. Yeah. That was your oath that you took when you went into it. And so many people have lost that, you know, they've lost that. They've gotten so out of touch with what it was truly about when they thought they were going to medical school for nursing school. And they just, they completely have been sucked into the system. And most of the time it's a result of overworked, you know, people are overtired, they're overstressed and they just don't think like, I remember even being in nursing, you know, working those 12 hour shifts. I mean, at nighttime and all these hours, you don't have time to care or look up anything. You literally follow the protocols. Yeah. Which is, which is exactly what the system wants. Exactly. Yeah. So, Kristen, best way to get a hold of you is on your Instagram? Yes, that's exactly where you'll find me. And you can message me, you know, just get to know me. We'll talk. If you have questions about anything, I'm more than happy to answer them. Or, you know, obviously, I will help direct you to find the resources, you know, that you need. I don't think I'm an expert on this, but I'm learning. I'm learning along with everyone else as well. Like I said, I used to vaccinate my kids and now I don't. And it's totally okay not to do that any longer. Um, You know, it's it's something that you can decide to do at any time. And especially once you know and you have the information, informed consent, and you can know, like, what's in these things. Like, there's lots of things in them that are dangerous. You know, the chem- just look up the ingredients is what I tell people to start with. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Kristen, thank you for being on our podcast today. You, you've helped us realize our goal, which is to educate and empower people to take charge of their own health. That's what we believe in. We believe in medical freedom. We believe in informed consent. We believe in people making their own choices and not being coerced or mandated. So thank you for helping us um, reach our goal today. And and listeners and viewers, tune in. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. And tune in Monday, our regularly scheduled podcast, 1230 to 1.30. I believe we're going to have two local guests on who are running for um, hospital board commissioners um, so they can try to change the system. And that is something that I did 23 years ago when I ran for public hospital commissioner um, because I didn't like things that was going on in our hospital. So realize that you guys, you know, we need to be active in these in these places, um, whether speaking out like Kristen or whether getting into politics, local politics, whether it be school boards or hospital boards and affecting, that's how we can affect change locally. So um, tune in that podcast, 12, 1230 to 1.30. 
uh, Pacific Standard Time. So, Kristen, thank you for being on today and help us realize our goal. Listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.